Last week, Adam was speaking about the baptism of Jesus, because we're going to start going through the book of Luke. We started with chapter 3, saving the Christmas story till closer to the Christmas season, which might make sense. And Jesus' baptism, he emphasized, was in order to show Jesus' humble submission to the Father, and in order for the Father to show his approval and give the gift of the Holy Spirit to Jesus. That's part of the foundation. It's not until next week we're going to get into some of those super stories about things that Jesus do. We're going to continue with foundations this week because foundations are important. When we were, um, well, foundations and structural support both are important. Um, People come to the SCUM building for a lot of reasons. I have never heard, however, anybody say, I came to see the beam in the purple room. But that beam that's in the purple room when you go through to get your potluck wasn't there a few years ago until the architect came in and said, do you realize this building can't bear the weight that you're putting in it? You need more structural beams. So you ought to be glad that that structural beam is in the purple room. And I've only heard one person comment on the beams in this room, but we are pretty trusting that um, they're going to hold the roof up. And this is a really old building because anybody have a clue what the date is on the foundation, the cornerstone that's out in that corner outside? 1881. So we are trusting that this building is going to hold us. We're trusting its foundation. A little bit more on foundation today as we look at the temptations that Jesus went through before beginning his ministry. Man, I can't see. (laughs) And I think... um, We will start with reading the passage from Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, the area where he had been baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted or tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Fell off the bottom of the screen. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. What might not have been, what wasn't visible on every slide was um, the Old Testament reference every time Jesus or even Satan quoted and said, it is written. That's okay. So before we really get into the, the meat of these temptations that Jesus underwent, ones that are pretty common for, to all of us, I want us to look at some more foundational points. Um, This isn't going to be one of those sermons that's really exciting and scintillating and has three alliterative points. Sorry. It's going to be more like 
teaching because there is so dang much in here that we need to get down as foundation on which we can then build as we're going through the life of Jesus. Foundational point number one, Jesus is wholly worthy to be our Savior. That was in W-H-O-L-L-Y. He is also H-O-L-Y, but he is totally worthy to be our Savior. One of the points, um, Luke, who is not only a physician, but obviously a pretty dang good author, one of the reasons he organized the material the way he did was he wants to point out the difference between Jesus and Israel. You notice a few phrases there that uh, you might have heard similarly in the Old Testament. Israel, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. Israel, tempted to idolatry, tempted to complain against God and get manna, tempted to complain about quail to the point where they were barfing it out. Complaining, complaining about God's provision in the wilderness. Whereas Jesus, when he comes along, he faces these temptations and he lives fully into his commitment and allegiance to the Father that he declared when he was baptized. Part of this going out into the wilderness for testing is that, you know, any one of us can use words pretty cheaply. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Oh, yeah, I love you. Oh, yeah, I'm in. And then it's time for action. And this whole opportunity Jesus has in the wilderness, this time of testing, is to show to demonstrate his commitment to his father, that it's more than just sweet words that he muttered on the day of his baptism. We'll be going over points over and over again, and I want you to see, if we can go back to that, um, to verses 1 and 2, you'll see something that's significant. The Holy Spirit, God himself, led Jesus into the wilderness but it was the devil who did the tempting. Jesus led into the wilderness to show, as a human being, his commitment to the Father and his willingness to do whatever the Father had commanded, whatever the Father commands. Jesus made it quite clear. This from chap from John chapter 6, verse 38. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. The Father wants to know, and the Father wants Jesus himself to know the depth of his commitment. So, led into the wilderness. Jesus doesn't go in just blind into this situation. Um, he shows his, his desire for obedience, his feelings, if you want, to do the will of the Father. He brings with him all the tools of Scripture, all his knowledge, of the history of his people, the Jews, up to this point, and God's promises to them. He also brings the power of the Holy Spirit that had been given to him at his baptism. And he also brings a life up to this point of practiced and disciplined obedience. And I think one of the problems that we face is that we think we can just walk into a tempting situation, flip a switch, and come out righteous. And if we learn anything from Jesus, we should learn that this is a habit of holiness that he's developed, a habit of learning, a habit of study, a habit of prayer, a habit of commitment to the Father, a habit of trying to discern God's will. 
So both in his feelings or desires and in his knowledge and also in his practice, he's prepared for this moment. A lot of us think we can just face a tough situation and come out fine. But the time to prepare for temptation is way, way before it ever occurs. The time to prepare for temptation is when you get up in the morning and decide what you're going to wear. It's what you decide you're going to write on that application or say in that interview before that question is, that make or break question is put to you. Are you going to be truthful or are you going to fudge it? The time to avoid temptation is before you go to the party and you make yourself accountable for what you're going to do, who you're going to do it with, what time you're going to get home and what you're going to do when you get there. We tend to think that we have this ability to just flip a switch to holiness rather than seeing in this example of Jesus a lifetime, all 30 years or so of his life up to this point, of building a relationship with the Father, studying his word, building those habits, and now being prepared to face the test the Father is putting in front of him. What I want to also do tonight, and this is funny, I did this this morning. This is, how it, this is how it worked out this morning. I said, I remember the good old days when scum was so small that it wasn't just a monologue sermon. It was more discussing back and forth. So I have a lot of questions for you today. And immediately in the morning, several pairs of eyes went down and never made eye contact again the rest of the morning. So I need to add the disclaimer. I promise I'm not going to call on anyone. But really, this, there's some tough things in here and some things that can be very, very personal. So I want to give you guys the opportunity to participate in this learning with me. There are no right or wrong answers. Well, actually, there probably are some wrong answers. The answers normally circle around Jesus one way or another. Um, but you're not here to be criticized. And uh, those of you who were here this morning, um, you can piously say you're not going to speak up because you already heard all the answers, or you can say something because now you know it, and you know what to say to look good. So, so the first question I want to throw out at you, because this really bugged the juice out of me when I started studying this passage. Why did Jesus need to be tested? Why? Why this story? Why did the Father do this? Answers, please. So we can know. So he. So Jesus knows what it's like when we're tempted. Okay. This is the woman who belts it out. I should have asked her to sing the answer. What else? Why? I, you know, basic question. Why is God testing God? Diary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like it. Any, any, anybody military here who wants to make an analogy to boot camp?
You you nailed it all, all of you. And I want to look at some verses also. And as I said, it's pretty dangerous to make any assumption from one passage of Scripture. So let's look at a lot of them to strengthen this foundation tonight. Speaking of Jesus, the book of Hebrews says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. And this, this is when I kind of gave it up and thought, oh, goody, goody, Jesus was tempted. Of course he didn't sin. He was God. What the heck does that have to do with me? So what? Um, we're get, it looks like we're going to be losing a lot of these slides off the bottom. But luckily I have it written here also. Hebrews 2.18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I think this is really significant, a couple significant things in it. Um, yes, Jesus was God, but it was as a human being he was tempted. And it hurt. And it was hard. Let's not delude ourselves into thinking resisting temptation isn't physically hard and hurtful at times, emotionally hard and hurtful. Let's not underestimate how much pain is involved in resisting temptation. And let's realize that Jesus, as a human, was indeed willing to go through that to be a model for us. We give in to temptation a lot of times just because it hurts so bad not to. But Jesus suffered as he was tempted. It does give us a great model and understanding. Well, a second foundational truth that we have to consider is that Satan is real. And the second question to you is, what else is Satan called? What other names do we know him by? The devil. Lucifer. Lucifer. Accuser. Dark angel. An antichrist, yeah. Antagonizer and... For goodness sakes, Deva, louder. <laughs> I'm not repeating that for the podcast. <laughs> the enemy, definitely. Angel of darkness, father of lies, deceiver. Someone who misquotes out of context scripture. Someone who will lie in order to make a point. Let's not, let's not doubt that the enemy is real out there. But there's something to consider, um, sort of a, a, a pop understanding of the relationship of spiritual powers versus a biblical understanding. And hopefully the picture will come up. Poof. This is the way we often think life is. I call it Star Wars theology or X-Men theology, but it is, it's not right. So many times we picture popular culture will say, 
God and Satan are up there duking it out as equal partners. We don't know who's got more power or who's going to win. And we're just the poor schlep stuck down here waiting to see what side will come out ahead or trying to get with the winning side. Very often we think popularly that Satan's power is equal to God, and that is simply not scripture. Next slide. This is how we need to consider it. God is sovereign creator of all. And God has created the angels, the good angels, the fallen angels. God has created Satan. God, everything God has created, including Satan, is under the authority of God. There is no doubt of the victor in any struggle or temptation. There is no doubt that God's grace and power has more effect than whatever Satan can slam us with. And that in itself ought to be, if not cause for dancing and rejoicing, at least cause for a degree of calm that no matter what Satan throws at us, God's power is greater still. Satan is a created creature. One more foundational point to make is that God does not tempt us. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The devil did the tempting. And temptation itself is not sin. If temptation was sin, we'd all be doomed. I want to look at some verses in James to show us this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after sin, no, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully formed, leads to death. So let's not say God is tempting me. And let's not, let's not ever use that in either one or two ways. Well... God tempted me to leave my spouse for another person. No, 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 no. God does not tempt against his holy will. Nor should we say, it's impossible. I have to, I have to cave because God's tempting me. No, no, no. No, no, no. God's power of grace is greater than any temptation that the devil can throw our way. It's significant also to know that in Scripture, and you can ask somebody who helps translate it if you really want to, why the one Greek word is variously translated testing or tempted, because sometimes that kind of trips us up a bit. But we must know that God is not the one who tempts. In fact, God is with us in our temptations. When we are put in circumstances that are hard, God does not automatically remove us from them. But God sees and God knows and God is with us. Just as, just as Jesus had the authority of God's word, the authority of the Holy Spirit, his learned behavior, he had all of these tools with him in the testing. When we find ourselves in tough situations where we can go either way, righteous, holy, or sinful, we must see those situations as opportunities to bring glory to God. 
that God is with us and understands what we are going through. Um, in fact, Jesus frequently throughout the New Testament or throughout the Gospels is shown as praying for us in our temptations. At the Last Supper especially, he said to Simon Peter, Satan is going to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And again in John, he says, my prayer to the Father is not that you take them out of the world, but protect them while they're in the world, protect them from the evil one. So here's another question. I'm making them harder. You've got to think more. If God doesn't tempt, but he tests, why do we pray, lead us not into temptation? Ooh, I already gave you the answer. Who is listening? Uh-huh. We're going to get to that one in a second. But, yeah, there are similarities that, um, you know, like with Job, when the, temp- when the situation is there, it can be test, it can be temptation. The word can be test or temptation. It usually says, lead us not into temptation, because who of us is foolish enough to think we can handle anything on our own? Apart from God, you know, if you're if you're sober for six months, you don't want to go out and celebrate in the bar, you know, to stay away from that situation. Because of your human weakness. You know what situations are going to trip you up and send you over the edge. And if you have so much pride as to not admit that there are human limitations around you then there will be more problems than you need to have in your life. Lead us not into these tough situations, Lord. Protect us in these tough situations, Lord. Lord, if you must put me to the test, you must be with me, but lead me not. I think that's one of the reasons we say that. And now I want to look specifically at that phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. A friend of mine posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago, raised in the church, good friend of ours, 20-something, and her post was, God never, you know, and it was in quotes, God will never give you more than you could handle. God lied. What do you think? Does God give us more? What do you think? Is that John? We would never depend on God if he did not give us more than we can handle. Okay. We would just take care of it ourselves. What else? What do you think of that phrase? God will never give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever been given more than they can handle? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Adam, were you going to say something? Aha. Next slide, please. Ooh, and it's all up there. Great. Let's, let's separate out the pithy pop phrase from what scripture says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all humanity. And in this, I think we can find some hope and confidence that whatever you're going through, you're not going through alone. You're not the only one. Do not think you are so exceptional that no one has ever, ever been tempted the way you are. 
and break the power of that temptation by getting it out into some sort of accountability. I interrupt scripture. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What are some of those ways God provides out of temptation? Been mentioning them. Scripture, accountability, prayer, confession, each other, planning beforehand. Okay, just want to make sure I heard right. Yeah, Holy Spirit, power, scripture, promises. These are gifts that God has given us so that when we are faced with those temptations, we are not tempted to think, It is impossible for me. Equal and opposite powers at work here. Grace versus evil. Grace versus evil. So that we can keep in mind the supreme creator of the universe is the overarching authority. He will never leave us in a temptation without the resources. And even Jesus himself, alone in the wilderness, had to draw on these resources of prayer and the Holy Spirit. And God's word in order to make it through. But that idea God will never give you more than you could handle is not true. (laughs) So those are foundational pieces I think we need to have in mind. Jesus is wholly worthy to be our savior because he was so devoted to doing the father's will. That was his desire above anything else that could be thrown at him. But he brought knowledge and forethought into the circumstances and practiced disciplines and understanding so that when faced with the temptations, he could, he could stand up to them. Satan is real. He is around. He will tempt. And probably the more you draw closer to Jesus, the more Satan will ramp up his efforts. Um, I cannot prove this from scripture, but I think Satan is essentially a very lazy being. And if all he has to do is get you apathetic, then that's all he'll bother doing. But when you show your devotion and love to the Lord, he will ramp up his attempts, attacks to get you away from the Lord. And as humans, we often, we don't want to be uncomfortable. So we just settle for a mediocre Christian life. We don't want to get into all that, all that spiritual struggle type stuff. Let's just keep it on a level. That's one of the temptations we face, which is the first one I want to look at. I want to be comfortable. Anybody here who would prefer pain to comfort? We have counselors on hand who can deal with this situation. All right, it's it is human nature. I want I want comfort more than I want pain. But we, you know, followers of Christ do not live out of human nature. We live out of a second nature given to us, the power of the Holy Spirit and the new life in Christ. Satan here knows exactly where to go after Jesus. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. The temptation is more than just turn a stone into bread. What Satan is really doing is just poking. You know, God's not really with you. God wouldn't have let, God wouldn't ask you to go through this. God may not be dependable. You better look out for number one. 
And for goodness sake, and when Satan says, if you are the son of God, he's really saying, since you are the son of God. He's not so much doubting that Jesus is the son of God, but he's saying, if you're the son of God, why the heck are you suffering? You can do anything. So take the anything you can do and make yourself comfortable. And I think especially in 21st century America with our technology and our ability and our fairly decent support systems and networks and salaries, there's a lot more we can do than we should do. And what we should do whenever faced with a situation is ask ourselves, am I only going in this direction for comfort or have I sincerely prayed and sought out God's will? But let me ask you this. Why in the world would God ask any of us to suffer rather than be comfortable? Or in, you know, what are some of the situations in which we fall into comfort before even considering if maybe we should be doing something less comfortable? Why, why would God want us to not be comfortable? What, what good is suffering? Grow? Okay. You want to expand on that, wherever it came from? <laughs> like, everybody's pointing. Not me, not me, not me. <laughs> yeah. When you're challenged, you have to start growing. When you're comfortable, you can just sit in it. Benjamin? When we see, when we suffer, we can have more compassion on others who are suffering. Yeah. He's quoting C.S. Lewis. God whispers in our comfort and shouts in our pain. What was the second part? A megaphone to arouse a dead world. That's great. That's great. And again, it's not easy. It is not easy to choose suffering over comfort. I've been following the stories coming out of the Middle East about what's been going on to Christians, and I've been checking the Internet against Snopes, and I've been going to other sources. And although some of the stories seem to be conflated in numbers, there is no doubt that recently in the Middle East, Christians have been crucified for their faith. There's no doubt that recently in the Middle East, People have been going up to children, asking them if they believe in Jesus, and if the child says yes in front of their parents, taking their head off. That is choosing suffering rather than comfort. And that is a hard, hard, inexplicably hard to imagine or consider. The challenges we get are small in comparison, so small in comparison. Should I spend my money on vacation or should I give some of it away? One, one that I, I continually struggle with, and it's always good for a discussion over the dinner table, is 
Should I, Fran Blomberg, buy the food I can afford to buy, you know, pasture-raised, organic, healthy, or should I spend less money on food so that other people can have some food? I struggle with that one. We struggle with things like this, and it's not always cut and dry. But I, I just encourage us to ask ourselves, am I just leaning into comfort, or have I really considered that maybe God is calling me to an alternative? Temptation number two, I want power, influence, and control. Is that too much to ask? I mean, really, that's all. This is a duplicitous one. This is Satan the deceiver at work. Because there's partial truth, but not complete truth in here. And that's the way Satan often works and why we better check it out with other people. Satan is saying, I will give you the authority and splendor that has been given to me. And I can give it to the person I want. Does that strike anybody a little? Wait, hang on. Hang on. What, what, what authority? What authority does Satan have here? Hang on. Well... I think scripture does overall teach us that until this world is completely redeemed, Satan absolutely does have some authority, some limited under the power of the creator authority in this world. But to, I mean, it's almost laughable. I'm sure Jesus wasn't in the mood for a laugh after 40 days of fasting, but it's like, Satan, I don't need to get power and authority from you. It was promised to me, if you remember back to when we were studying Daniel, Daniel 7:14, the Son of Man will be given all authority and dominion. Jesus obviously had authority throughout his life. He was healing. He even brought people back to life from the dead. And he said quite clearly in Matthew, after he rose from the dead, all authority has been given to me. So it's a very, very empty, empty promise Satan makes here. I will give you all authority. And Jesus is like, thank you. Already have it. But actually his answer is an interesting one because he responds to the offer of authority by saying, worship God and serve him only. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, I thought we were talking about authority here. And I think it simply comes down to whatever. We will worship whatever we think is an authority in our life and we will give authority to whatever we worship. So I think it ties together that way. If we are so fanatic about money, that will be what we worship. And that will be the authority in our life. Image, hobby, career. What, there is definitely a tie-in between the authority we give something in our life and whether or not we are worshiping it. And so I think it's appropriate for Jesus to answer the, question, or answer the offer of authority by saying, worship the Lord. And serve him only. And he didn't need any authority given him by Satan. Number three. I want life on my terms. Or I want to be invincible. That's all. I mean, you know. We're not going to ask you for stories from your teenage years. About what you thought you could do. What you thought you could get away with. What you thought would never have consequences. Seems to me if we had a longer version of scripture. It would read something like this. Because Satan is so duplicitous, so deceitful. Okay, okay, Jesus, so you trust God. So if God is trustworthy, 
you can do anything you want and he'll protect you, right? Because he's trustworthy, huh? Right? So you can defy nature if you want because God is trustworthy. Isn't that what you said? God is trustworthy. And you're like, wait, hang on. Hang on. Oh, and by the way, as long as we're going to test God here, let's go to the temple and do it. And by the way, the temple in Jerusalem, one side of it was just built on a sheer cliff, maybe 450 feet down. It was a pretty big drop in those days, especially. So let's go to the temple and that's where you can test God. Because after all, your religion says he's extra super present here in the temple and he'll be extra super pleased if you do this at the temple. And if you do it as a demonstration of your faith in him, do you see how, do you see how that's getting a little warped there? Anybody ever feel like Satan's messing with them like that, messing up their minds? And Jesus simply replies, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, I think there's a difference between doubts and questions. If I doubt God, I'm inviting him to prove himself to me. But if I'm questioning God, it's as if I'm saying, I, I really want to believe this, but I don't understand it. Doubts puts the onus on God. Questions puts the responsibility on me to study and learn and talk to other people. We're not to test God. We're not to ask God to give us life on our terms. Get, what are some examples? Get, get you guys going a little bit, stir up a little bit here. What are some examples of people demanding things of God without necessarily knowing whether or not it is God's will. Healing is a big one. Demanding, putting God on the spot, come through now on my terms. That's a good one. Others? A job, yeah. Oh, look. <laughs> usually tomorrow a job by a certain date usually tomorrow with a certain salary benefits etc 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 yeah a spouse or children lottery that's a good one yeah lord bless me with the lottery i haven't bought a ticket but you can do it lord <laughs> deliverance what do you mean death? debt? Oh, debt. Yeah. Lord, relieve my debt. I'm going to go out and get a latte while you're working on that one. Yeah. There's, it is not that God doesn't want to fulfill his promises to us, but you know, I mean, you can tell when someone's just playing with you, buttering you up, sucking up to you. If you can feel that with a human being, do you think God cannot feel when we do that to him, <laughs> when we are making demands that he come through on our terms, the first temptation sort of dealt with the idea that, um, that God wasn't reliable, so you better do it yourself. The third temptation is flipping that on its head and saying, God is so reliable, you don't have to do anything except demand it of him. And he did give us brains and tools and resources to use. 
I think those are three pretty common temptations that we need to just keep our eyes open for. I want to be comfortable. I want to be in control. And I would like life on my terms, please. And Jesus answers that it's not by comfort or bread alone that we live, that we are to worship God only, and that we are not to test God by demanding our will from him. Another slide to review again how Jesus met these temptations, and we can find ourselves in this. He took the test and resisted the temptation because he desired more than anything. If you want to talk about how his feelings went, he might have wanted some bread, but more he wanted to do the will of God. So his feelings were involved. But he knew scripture and the promises of God. Knowledge, his head was involved. And what is off the bottom of the screen, he habitually practiced holiness. He knew. He had disciplines. He was aware ahead of time of what might be coming. He was prepared. And I don't think he asked for this, but in obedience to the Father's will, he accepted it. So I just have one more question that has also bugged me about this whole story. Jesus is alone in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And here we are 2,000 years later reading about it. I can kind of get how the story came to us. Obviously, Jesus told someone. Obviously, someone told Luke. Obviously, Luke wrote it. But my question is, why? Why do you think Jesus wanted us to know about his temptations and about the fact that he was able to resist them all? Was he bragging? Look at me, I'm God, I can resist temptations. Loser, you can't. Was he getting down on someone? Loser. You just caved into that? Let me tell you what I put up with. What, I, I would like you to imagine the scene in which Jesus first told this story to someone. And tell me why. Why did he tell this story? For perseverance? Give us hope? Show show us what we're up against, the attributes of Satan. Yeah. Relatable humanity. Show us how to discern the will of God in Scripture by Scripture, which is good because I forgot to mention that, you know, Satan's quoting Scripture back at Jesus here, but obviously pulling it out of context, so... The scene I imagine, maybe with one of the disciples, maybe someone else, I'm picturing Jesus with someone who has just screwed up royally and is yet again embarrassed, disappointed, beating up on themselves and saying, I can't do this. I am so, I'm so, I you can imagine the words. I feel like I can't do this. And just in closing, I want to take us back to the final slide the verses in Hebrews that not only describe the perfection of Jesus, but tell us because of that perfection, what we have available to us. We do not have a high priest unable to empathize with our weaknesses. 
We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Then it does not say, so go out and feel like crap. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Just as many people mentioned, I think Jesus let the story leak in order for us to know what we're up against and to know the power of his grace and the power of God's provision and protection that is with us every time, every time we're tempted and is there again the next time. And as we go back into worship now, we're going to have some folks down in the prayer cave for prayer. If you want, you can come. And, and I honestly do believe in, in sharing with someone what you're struggling with not because we all like a, a good gory story but when the secret is broken when the words are out when someone looks you in the eye and says there is hope it gives new life it gives a new opportunity so i would urge anyone who wants prayer to come on up to the prayer cave as we're going through another worship set.